Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a crackdown on unbelted drivers as we begin the summer driving season. A primer on Minnesota's Chippewa National Forest and Canterbury Park is open for business. But first, this week at the Minnesota Capitol... Senator Rosen. I move the Senate do now adjourn. Signy die. All those in favor of the motion signify by saying aye. Aye. Those opposed? The motion does prevail. The Senate is adjourned. Signy die. The last time I can think of something so unproductive takes us back at least to a quarter century ago. State lawmakers ended their 2022 session with no agreement on what to do with the state's over $10 billion budget surplus. They went into the final weekend of the session with a tentative deal on tax relief. Finally, our Social Security won't be taxed. No state tax, regardless of income, and the walls checks that the governor wanted? The rebate checks didn't make the cut. Republican Senator Karen Housley. The plan was to use $4 billion of the budget surplus four tax cuts and four billion for spending but republicans and democrats could not agree on the spending part house speaker melissa hortman saying the areas they were furthest apart i would say right now that it's probably a tie between public safety health and human services and e12 the biggest areas of the state budget and house democrats were not about to pass tax cuts that republicans wanted without being certain that they got the spending bills what they call investments in minnesota's future Senator Miller and I and the governor signed an agreement, and I expect that all of us can live up to that agreement in full. And that is where things stood when the clock reached midnight. Madam Speaker, I move that the House do now adjourn. And all those in favor, please say aye. aye. Those opposed, please say no. Minnesota's watching and saying, can you finish your work on time? Changing his stance, Governor Walls said, time for a special session. My God. We're in an incredible position. We're 90 to 95% of the way there. We're sitting on the proverbial one yard line. Just punch it in, just get it done. We're not interested in a special session. For goodness sakes, get your work done on time. Senate Republican Majority Leader Jeremy Miller. You don't get the ball to the one yard line and go home. Uh, You finish the job that Minnesotans expect us to do. It's a good idea for everybody to go home and sleep on this for seven months and we'll come back and do what's right by Minnesotans. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd. It's very convenient to walk away, but we can't walk away from Minnesotans. We need to do the work. Senate Democratic Minority Leader Melissa Lopez-Franson. No special session, predicted Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz, saying there is still an enormous gulf between Democrats and Republicans on what to do with the state's budget surplus. Once we start to get into June, I don't think there's going to be a lot of appetite for the legislators to come back in session because they're going to be more worried about getting the campaign trail. And Schultz says with a large part of the budget surplus uncommitted, candidates from both parties will be making campaign promises. What we're going to probably see the Republicans say is that if elected, this $10 billion goes back to the taxpayers. If the Democrats get elected, it's going to be a combination of some taxpayer, but a lot of it's going to be for a variety of programs. So what did not get done? A billion-dollar education funding package. Lionel Lakes Republican Roger Chamberlain indicated the Senate made a straightforward offer to House Democrats. Money for literacy, special education, scholarships, student mental health. That is what they had in their bill. That's what people asked for. They supported. They say agree with. But I don't know. 
Negotiators did not give specifics on the sticking point, but lead House negotiator Democratic Representative Jim Dabney said, We need the Senate to decide that they want what they've agreed to. That's the challenge we're having. Education Minnesota Teachers Union President Denise Speck says Minnesota's public schools are in an emergency and she's really worried about what the beginning of next year is going to look like. The fact that the legislature is not coming back and addressing those problems knowing full well they have a surplus that can make a dent in that, it is absolutely criminal. There are no politics that should get in the way. Lawmakers also did not pass a billion-dollar health and human services package. Lead Senate negotiator Anoka Republican Jim Abler warned without any agreement. We don't get to be sure that nursing homes stay open to help people who have no place else to go. We have no way to tell the... The people need a ride to go to the doctor for dialysis, what they're going to do. Carrie Thurlow with Leading Age Minnesota says a severe shortage of long-term care workers means over 400 senior care settings, assisted living facilities, and nursing homes. One-sixth of those in the state of Minnesota are at risk of closing. Every day we wait risks a collapse of the senior care sector, which is something that we can't afford to risk. And what was supposed to be the main task of the Minnesota legislature in an even-numbered year, a bonding bill for state public works projects, that didn't get done either. I think the majority caucuses have been really uh, devoted to trying to get agreement on the other bills, and they've been distracted with that and not really focusing as much on a bonding bill. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Doubt, among the few bills that lawmakers did pass, an agriculture funding package, including $10-plus million in loans and grants for drought relief. Those that were impacted by the drought last summer and fall, livestock farmers, specialty crop farmers, these grants will get out the door as soon as possible through the Department of Agriculture. Republican Senator Tory Westrom from Elbow Lake. Lawmakers also approved a record $210 million to improve broadband internet access across Minnesota. Our communities in rural Minnesota really are seeing a surge of economic development because of the ability for people to work remotely and rethink uh, where they can live and where they want to live with their families. Because of broadband, they can move to rural Minnesota now. And so, Scott, again in 2022, as has often happened in the past, when everyone else couldn't quite get it together, Minnesota's farmers came through. Thank you, Bill. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see 
what the last paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. We're heading into the deadliest days of summer driving this Memorial Day weekend. And Mike Hansen with the Department of Public Safety says there will be extra enforcement on the roads to make sure everyone is buckling up. Well, what we're looking at, Scott, is yes, it's a disturbing and completely preventable upward trend in the number of unrestrained motorists who are being killed and seriously injured as a result of not putting on that seatbelt. Um, You know, our preliminary numbers uh, show us in 2021 that 108 of our fatalities were attributed to a driver and or a passenger not putting on that seatbelt. And as a result, they were killed in a motor vehicle crash. That's a completely preventable event. Take two seconds and put that seatbelt on. This is not rocket science. This is really easy to do. And once you get in the habit, um, it becomes automatic and you don't even think about it anymore. Uh, Mike, I know that this can be hard to pinpoint, uh, but do we know why over the course of the last couple of years we're moving in the wrong direction when for so long it seemed like we were moving in the right direction and people were doing what they were supposed to? Well, you're, that's another really great point, Scott, and that we were making you know pretty good progress until 2020 came around. And then what we saw in early 2020, uh, you know, really in parallel with the onset of the the COVID pandemic, is a significant increase in high-risk driving behavior. And that, uh, you know, obviously speed is a big part of that. But part of the risky behavior was uh, drivers and passengers not putting that seatbelt on. Uh, We don't really know why they're making those poor choices and those poor decisions. Um, and they, I don't think people just understand how much energy is involved in a motor vehicle crash. And that seatbelt is your first and your last line of defense, as you've heard me say over and over again. It's, it's your only defense if another driver makes a mistake. You can be the best driver in the world, but if somebody else screws up, you want to make sure you protect yourself. And you also have to keep in mind that every one of those protection systems built into today's modern, safe automobile, it starts and ends with a driver and passengers having that seatbelt on. None of the other safety systems will work without having that seatbelt properly worn or having a child in a properly fitted car seat. You mentioned that all of these fatalities are preventable, and and one of the ways we prevent them is by having uh, statewide campaigns with extra law enforcement looking for unbelted motorists, and I understand we've got one of those coming up. What's going to be, what is that going to entail, and what are they going to be watching for on the roads? You bet, Scott. And yes, uh, you know, traffic law enforcement is one of our most effective tools that can change driver behavior for the better. Um, and it's even stronger when we combine it with a really robust media and outreach campaign, which is exactly what we do here at the Department of Public Safety. We tell people what we're going to do. We tell the citizens when and where we're going to do it. And then we tell everybody afterwards what we did. And so starting on May 23rd, we will be partnering not only with the Minnesota State Patrol Troopers, 
but with over 300 police and sheriff's agencies across the state for a sustained high visibility uh, enforcement effort that's going to focus on unrestrained drivers and passengers. And so we will be funding uh, a significant number of overtime hours for officers to go out and to work traffic and to focus on those specific types uh, of, of misbehavior and, and hopefully make the roads safer for everybody uh, through those efforts. But every Minnesotan can help us make this a really successful campaign. And when I say really successful, that means we don't write any tickets and we don't go to any fatal crashes that are a result of somebody not having a belt on. So if we can all just put that seatbelt on and get in that habit, especially as we get into the 100 busiest days on Minnesota roads. We love our summer. We love the roads. Even when gas prices are high, a lot of people are going to be out there traveling, and we want them all to be safe when they're doing it. And that starts with putting that seatbelt on before the car gets put in gear. And, Mike, if somebody is pulled over for not wearing a seatbelt, what typically happens? Well, a seatbelt uh, under Minnesota law is considered an equipment violation, and so it will uh, involve a fine of somewhere between $120 and $140, depending on what county the offense occurs in. Um, and uh, so that, that is what the driver would be facing as far as penalties. All right, perfect. I think that's, uh, that's more or less what I was looking for, Mike, unless there's anything else you wanted to add. Well, Scott, as long as you gave me the chance, I'll give you my standard close. Hey, as we head into Memorial Day and as we head into the, the summer driving months in Minnesota, we really ask everybody, A, put that seatbelt on every trip, every passenger, every time. Take two seconds and save a life. Slow down. The roads are congested. There's going to be a tremendous amount of construction taking place this summer, and we need to really get back to that cooperative effort sharing the road with everybody. Never, ever drive impaired. There's too many options out there. There's no excuse to drive impaired. And always give that driving task your full attention. Put the cheeseburger down. Put the electronic device down. Put the pet in the back seat. Um, Take care of whatever business you need to take care of before you get behind the wheel so that you can drive safely. Thank you to my guest, Mike Hansen, with the Department of Public Safety. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Chippewa National Forest is located in the heart of northern Minnesota. It was the first national forest established east of the Mississippi River in 1908. Originally known as the Minnesota National Forest, the name was changed in 1928 to honor the original inhabitants. At the Minnesota Governor's Fishing Opener in Cass Lake earlier this month, Tasha Radel sat down with Michael Stansberry, Chippewa National Forest Supervisor. My job is really to take care of people and build relationships. That is all I do all day long. Uh, we've got about 113 people that, that work here on Chippewa National Forest. And uh, um, with, those, with those 113, everything from, from fire professionals to uh, soil scientists to, uh, to timber folks and those that, are, are, that we ask to uh, make sure that we're in our partnerships, um, leaning into partnerships and, and uh, having a really good relationship. Uh, with not only with uh, a sovereign nation like Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, but also with um, uh, partners like 
the Nature Conservancy and the Rough Grouse Society and those um, uh, because it, it's it's interdependence and taking care of the landscape and and really making sure that the air and the water quality is is uh, top notch. That we need those partners to uh, uh, to make sure that we're we're working together. And how large is the Chippewa National Forest? So we're just a little over six hundred and forty thousand acres. Um, what what's amazing about the, this national forest, well, there, there are many different things that are amazing about this national forest, but one of them is that of all the national forests across the nation, so from Maine to California up to Alaska, uh, we have 13% of the water surface just within this national forest, which is, I mean, that's an amazing statistic that, that, that we have that much water to protect and keep clean, and, and that's providing that habitat for fishing openers just like, just like this, this day, today. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, a really unique relationship with uh, Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe in that um, 40, 44% of the reservation is Chippewa National Forest land. So we have a special trust responsibility to those lands because of their reservation lands to make sure that they are protected in a way that we co-steward with Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. You know, bringing an event like this, the Governor's Fishing Opener, it's a, it's a unique time for you to showcase the forest yeah. and you know I think a lot of people what does a forest relate to the public can the public go into the forest How oh, did that's really good yeah so uh, we are we are multi-mission multi-use uh, agency uh, uh, the forest is really looked at all forests but but Chippewa especially is really looked to for a lot of different opportunities um, and you know one of the things that um, that we 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 tie into and what is really cool about our organization or our agency it's just how how much we um, are connected to our communities um, what's important to our communities whether it's it's fishing uh, and the opportunities that that um, uh, those cultural ties that that we have with fishing or is is it uh, providing to the economies uh, for instance timber and, and other products that the forests provide uh, uh, boughs for for our, our Christmas trees and that type of thing. Um, so whatever, each force is a little bit different in the, in what it provides to not only the local communities but the nation as a whole. Um, and and Chippewa is is very unique in that way. All right, and you know obviously um, last year with the drought and wildfires was that kind of a trying year last it, year at all it certainly was you know there are two forests here in northern minnesota the superior national forest and chippewa national forest we were both in extreme drought conditions and we saw fires uh a wildfire start some of them were human caused some of them were lightning strikes that would that would start you know just tender dry conditions and um, uh it was it was very difficult we have a very professional and and good fire crew uh, that as soon as a smoke is reported they get out there as fast as they can to try to try to prevent those fires from spreading and, and really taking off um, unfortunately Superior National Forest you know they had they had the Greenwood fire and, and Delta fire that um, that that uh, chewed across a lot of landscape just because the conditions were just so dire um, you know, this year there's same type of prediction that we're that we're going to have dry conditions. Maybe not as dry as last year, but uh, we're prepared and ready. With a, again, we've got a, a good fire crew ready to go and and uh, ready to respond. 
All right. Well, those are the questions that I had today. Anything else you wanted to add? Oh, no. I just appreciate this. We we, we got a great day today. Oh, I know, uh, right? Here. Yeah. And uh, just appreciate you all being here. Yeah. Thank you for all having right. us. Yeah, appreciate it. You. Right. you take care. That's Tasha Radel visiting with Michael Stansberry, Chippewa National Forest Supervisor. Minnesota Matters returns after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play like a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do like that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The horse racing season in Minnesota is now underway at Canterbury Park in Shakopee. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with track announcer Paul Allen about some of the things highlighting this racing season. Horse racing season underway in Minnesota. That means Canterbury Park is open and running its session for the spring and the summer and into the fall. And the track announcer is the very famous Paul Allen. PA, good to see you. What's up there, Grimmer? I, I don't know if I would say very famous. Maybe uh, working with the Vikings for a couple of decades nationally, maybe worldwide speaking. There are people who actually take time to know my name, but uh, I, I never would call myself very famous. <laughs> well, before we get into the uh, session and some of the new bets and some of the cool things, uh, Canterbury is really the reason you're here. I mean, the voice of the Vikings isn't the voice of the Vikings, if not for the horse track, right? Well stated. It um, Yeah, it was 1995. Canterbury Downs was a racetrack that opened in the mid-'80s, run by a company called Ladbroke, uh, which is a London betting establishment. And uh, emphasis on the word broke, uh, the track the track was mismanaged and closed in 1993, uh, 94-ish. So the Sampson family, God rest the soul of Kurt Sampson, the uh, uh, the 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 main owner who died last summer, his son Randy and Dale Shenian from St. Paul, they bought the track and subsequently all of the land. So then it opened in 95. They found me calling races in San Francisco and brought me here. So for five years, 93 to 98, I would call races in San Francisco, either at Bay Meadows or Golden Gate Fields for about six and a half months and then uh, cross the Great Divide and come to Shakopee and call races at Canterbury and in between fill in for an announcer named Chris Katulak who had to leave early for Louisiana Downs in Bossier City, Louisiana, so I'd be in Grand Island, Nebraska <laughs> at Fonner Park for five weeks in between. And I did that gypsy thing for five years. No regrets. Uh, learned a lot. 
And here you are, very famous. I'm still going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. Uh, hey, horse racing season underway. It's a yeah. busy time for you. Uh, take us through the schedule. Uh, it's, uh, some new nights, right, this yeah. year? And uh, uh, people want to come out what what uh, days yeah. and nights. And But Grimmer, you're right. I mean, if there is no, and I didn't answer it, if there is no Canterbury, there there is no opportunity to call Vikings football. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. That's cool. Uh, we race Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday at 5 p.m. Sundays at 1. Uh, Sunday at 1. One is family day. It's Pepsi family day. And, and that's that plays into our identity owned by the Sampson family and the Shenian family. Uh, that's one of the first things coming from more of a uh, more of a hardened uh, equity based longstanding horse racing circuit like the Bay Area, San Francisco. Or when I wrote for the Pasadena Star News in USA Today, 88 to 93, covering horse racing in the Los Angeles area. I mean, those those markets would start with Dr. Fager, Seattle Slough, Affirmed Alidar, Secretariat, Spectacular Bid, and so on. Uh, well, that's not the case here. So I get here, and you know, there are 10, 15,000 people, pretty much every card. They're all betting a grand total of $40 on the whole day, and it's all to show, which I abhor. They're spreading out of blankets and and mashing our food and beverage yeah. and then going home to Sunday night dinner or church. And, like, that was so new to me when I got here in the mid-'90s, you know, because I'm used to jockey, used to jockey Russell Bays or Chris McCarron, Lafitte Pinkai Jr., or Gary Stevens getting MF'd at the scale <laughs> after they just lost on an even-money favorite. Right. So – it family day at one o'clock on Sundays, that is our identity where there are unbelievably cool things to do for the kids with pony rides and face painting and stuff like that. But Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday night at five, you know, that's uh, adult beverages are flowing, bands on uh, every Thursday night, $5 admission every Wednesday night, and um, and Saturdays, you know, that's uh, that's unto its own. So uh, CanterburyPark.com to get the info. And there's some new bets, right? At least one I know of. Well, it's not a new bet, um, but but what the philosophy behind it is new, and and I appreciate you bringing this up. It's for the majority of people listening now. Again, not in a horse racing equity state. I'm not going to bore the listeners and go super far down the road on like comparisons. But first race of the day, we offer what's called a pick four. It's called the post time pick four. Yet you have to hit the winners of races one, two, three, and four. It's only a fifty cent bet. So if you use one horse, like I got Michael in the first, Grimm in the second, Vox in the third, win a pie on it, uh, uh, win a pie on it or for it, for it, yeah, win a pie for it in the fourth. If you just use one of those horses each race, that's fifty cents. So you can use as many or as few in each race. But what makes it different is our rake, how we run a business and make money. It's called takeout. is only 10%. The, the average takeout on pick fours at tracks around the country is about 18, 18, 19%, up to 23 to 27. So we are taking an organizational stand off a very good year we had last year. Um, the, the, the pandemic, for all of its negativity, what was, what was serendipitous to us in 2020 with no fans is we raced Monday through when, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 4:30, and, and big betters around the country who never pay attention to us were like, "Oh, they have a nice turf course." Oh, they have big fields. Oh, I've heard of that jockey. Oh, wait, the announcer calls Vikings games. Yeah. Oh, this is a beautiful kind of racetrack. And they stuck with us. So that really helped us last year. And we're going to capitalize on it this year by, 
giving an opportunity to the fans with that post-time pick four, races one to four, only a 10% takeout. That means more money comes back to the fans. We take a little bit of a hit if uh, fans don't bet it. But so far through uh, a few days, they're betting it nicely. That's Canterbury Park track announcer Paul Allen with MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.